Hey, toy fans, we have a guest so big that it's going to take two podcasts just to interview him. That's right, the Toy Lines podcast and People of Eternia are crossing over. Welcome to People of Eternia. I'm Tom Romero. Did you ever love something but didn't know how to express it? Do you think you're brave enough to tell the world about your passion, especially when the world perceives it as just some immature obsession? My guest today does have that bravery. He has shown the world that, like comics, toys aren't just for kids. He has helped legitimize the adult collector. He's amassed a huge following from both children and adults alike. He's a well-respected man in the toy collecting community. Along with his wife, he has inspired other collectors to proclaim their love for toys, especially Masters of the Universe. You can find all of his videos on YouTube, and he is about to release his first book, The Toys of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. You know him as Pixel Dan. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Daniel Erdley. Hey, what is going on? Thanks for having me, man. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, thank you so much for being here. I mean, I'm excited for your book. You know, you've been just a huge part of the community. And I'm going to be honest with you, as a personal note, you've always been kind to me since the first day I met you at, at uh, the Power Party. Awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, it's been years now, too, right? And uh, yeah. we always see each other at Toy Fair and everything every year. And honestly, that's one of my favorite things about doing what we do and getting out there and getting to travel. I just, I love meeting like-minded people that are all just, you know, sharing our passions and, you know, covering the content or whatever we're doing with it. Um, I think it's been a real honor and a blessing just to meet so many cool people from all over the world. So, and you definitely, you're part of that, man. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, and I forgot to introduce my best buddy and co-host Ian Westoff. Sorry, I'm late, everybody. <laughs> Ian, Dan, Dan, Ian. How's it going, Ian? Good, how are you? Good, man. So, Dan, you gave us a pretty big health scare this past holiday season. How are you feeling? I mean, you look great. You know, Thanks. I'm glad everything's working out for you, I hope. Yeah, things things are going good. Um, I'm feeling a lot better now. Uh, so I was diagnosed back in the beginning of November with Bell's palsy. Um, and it's something that I had always kind of heard of or known of. Um you know, especially growing up a pro wrestling fan. A lot of people remember Jim Ross dealing with Bell's palsy for a time. Oh, okay. um, I didn't realize how common this was until after I was diagnosed because so many kind people like reached out to me and, and shared their own experiences with me. Um, the good news is it's not anything that's life threatening or anything that's really going to get in the way of my life too much. Uh, but it was very scary when it happened. If you're not familiar with what Bell's palsy is, uh, essentially it's temporary paralysis of your facial nerves. So um, it was really scary because I was I was just working one day and basically the left side of my face just 
stopped working. Uh, I couldn't blink my eye. My mouth started drooping down on the left side. I couldn't speak good. Um, I thought I was having a stroke, to be perfectly honest. I, I, I thought that's what was going on. So um, my wife quickly rushed me over to the ER and that whole process was very scary. Let me tell you, because when you get there and you show up with those symptoms, that's exactly the way the ER acts that this, we need to make sure you're not having a stroke. So as soon as they saw me and I told them what was going on, they whisked me straight to the back and they started like doing all the stroke tests to me, you know, testing different reflexes and, and doing lots of stuff like that. So that was pretty scary. But after they concluded the testing, they were basically able to, to uh, they were f- fairly safe in saying, we don't think this is a stroke. This seems more like Bell's palsy, which the good news is, is this isn't life-threatening in any way. So uh, you should be fine just to kind of wait in the waiting room for now. We're going to run a bunch of tests. We'll see how that goes. So then I had to sit in the waiting room for five hours, wow, not knowing man. what was going on. Um, and every so often they would call me back and I had to have a CT scan and all that stuff. So I had to go through all the, the scary stuff you always imagine would happen when you have to get rushed to the ER for something like this. But uh, at the end of it all, that that was what the diagnosis was, is Bell's palsy. And the good news is, is it's not anything that's really... The, the weird thing is, is they don't know the exact cause of Bell's palsy. It's hmm. something that could honestly have been in my system for years, and I just had my first okay. attack. Um so what happens is it's like a temporary paralysis that affects two of your major nerves in your face, causing you to just go paralyzed in half of your face. And you just essentially have to wait for it to run its course. So like they prescribed me some steroids and some some different, I think it was two different medications basically to help the healing process. And it took about two months for me to regain all motor skills in my face. So it was, it was stressful and you know it was one of those things where i was very relieved because it could have been far worse you know i'm not Mm -hmm. in any danger so i was absolutely counting my blessings for that part of it but the other part of it is it became very stressful in the fact that all the little things you don't think about every day become very difficult you know eating food drinking specifically Mm -hmm. out of a straw became impossible because Mm -hmm. the left side of my mouth just didn't work um at nighttime when i would go to sleep i had to tape my eye shut or wear an eye patch because I couldn't close my eye. Um, and I had to constantly put eye drops in my eye all day long to keep it moist. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was, it was stressful. And, you know, I definitely got a little depressed a little bit through the process just because, you know, when, when you just can't do normal things that kind of affects you just mentally a little bit. So, right. But You're I pulled- afraid you won't get your, reflexes back there's always that too so like they they did tell me that i was lucky and that it was what they considered a mild case and that they didn't think i would have any permanent damage from it uh because bell's palsy can strike hard enough that it could cause permanent damage like to your face like some people never like they're they they never lose the droop in their mouth or they never lose you know so i got pretty lucky that I'm basically 99% back to normal right now. I still have a little bit of like a a flutter in my eyelid every now and then, or, or my mouth, like basically there'll be times where the muscles in the left side of my face just feel tired. You know, like when you smile real big or like you're, you, you like have one of those moments where you're smiling and laughing a lot and your mouth gets really sore and tired from all the smiling. Sometimes that's how the left side of my face feels just at the end of a normal day. Um, 
Yeah. So, um, but the good news is like they, the doctors think it's just, it's, I'm going to be pretty good. They expected this to be a full recovery. Uh, the only thing is, is it's once it's, once I have it, I have it. And, uh, so I'm, I'm prone to future attacks, but they said that attacks happen like every 10 to 15 years. So it could be another 10 years before this happens again. Uh And they said that, you know, that's not even a for sure thing. Like if it happens again, at least you'll know what it is next time. They basically told me. So yeah, it was, it was, it was scary, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm very healthy and I, I made a pretty much a full recovery. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that for sure. That's anything you can take for that to prescribe anything for future. Like, you know, no, they didn't give me any like permanent prescriptions. They basically gave me like, they gave me the steroids. Uh, it was, it was two different, medications i don't remember exactly one of them was definitely a steroid um but those were just kind of like a a regiment that they put me on and once i went through that course um they decided i didn't need to continue taking it so there's not really much you can do for it after that Mm -hmm. um and it's been fine like it hasn't really been bothering me every now and then i have my days where i'm just like you know i have that feel that tired feeling but for the most part i'm doing fine so Well, that's good. Like I said, you look great. You know, we've been watching Thanks. your videos. I mean, everything's going well, it seems. So let's jump into your book. Congratulations. Oh, you thanks, man. have created a, a, basically a tome, The Toys of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, now available on Amazon Prime. So head on over, pick up your copy. But if you're a super He-Man fan, head on over to the power hyphen con.com and order not only the toys of human masters of the universe but a part two compendium to the books that you've already received probably yeah so that's like a, a bonus to the character guide so if you bought the character guide that came out a couple years ago this is like that's like extra content for that so it's a nice bonus that's awesome yeah so could you tell me a little bit about the book here's one of the pages that was shown at PowerCon. Yeah. Now, this is a great layout. You have the carded figure, the bio. Um, I really couldn't read what was what's underneath the figure itself. Is that your own personal written description or what is that? You're talking about the main text on the page right in the middle there? Yes. Yeah. So that's my personal write up on on the figure. So uh, basically for for every figure, it's just a it's not like a personal review or anything like that. It's like informational so information about um the figure that came out any any kind of backstory you need to know about the actual figures production uh it describes what all comes with the figure so it's it's very informational um when we put together the idea for this book that's what we wanted it to be we wanted this to sort of be a nice coffee table book that was an easy reference to all of the masters of the universe toy lines. So you can easily flip through it. You can find the figure you're looking for. And it just gives you basically all the information, full turnarounds of the figure shows you all the accessories and gives you that nice, complete snapshot. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Now, could I ask what didn't make it into the book? So there, the, the real tricky thing about this. Um, so 
this is a huge book, just so you guys know. It's over 700 pages. Wow. And that's because we opted to cover everything from the original Masters of the Universe toy line all the way through Masters of the Universe Classics, um, which is the most recent collector's line. So that's the cutoff for the book. So anything that's come out after that is not going to be in here. So Origins didn't make the cut because Origins hadn't even come out yet uh, when I had to turn in the stuff for this book. So... Mm-hmm. You know, there's always potential for me to do a follow-up or something to include the newer newer stuff. So because of that, we're covering original He-Man, original She-Ra, new adventures of He-Man, the 2002 incarnation uh, of the toy line, the relaunch from that era, and then Masters of the Universe Classics. So that's a lot of toy lines and a lot of figures to cover. So the big question when we were first putting this together is how deep do we really need to get with this? Like, do we need to make sure we cover like all of the international releases and the variants, or do we need to just make something that's a little, a little more concise. And, you know, after a lot of back and forth and a lot of thinking of it, we basically opted not to get as, as deep and detailed with like all of those different international type releases. So, you know, you always have, especially with those vintage toy lines where, uh, figures get produced in different factories in different countries. And sometimes that results in right, the uh, Leo figures. Oh yeah. And then you got stuff like that. So you got like the Leo stuff that was the characters, re- the figures released in India. Um, you know, you've got the Argentinian releases, the top toys stuff. So we didn't go into all of that sort of stuff. What we yeah. opted to do was do um, there's, there's some articles throughout the book that kind of talks about some of that extra stuff and gives you some photos and some examples of some of it, just so you're aware it's out there. Cool. But that's the type of stuff we decided not to go super deep on because we, we already had a 700 page book just covering the U S releases. So this book is just the U S released items. So if the book does well, or, it, or let me rephrase it. Um, is that something you'd want to cover in a book? Just like, like just international stuff. I think that would be amazing. Um, I know that there are other fans out there that are hoping to do stuff like that. That might even be better at it than me, because I'll tell you, I, I learned a lot about that sort of stuff just in the process of working on this book. A lot of that is stuff that I knew existed and I, and I had a fair amount of knowledge of, but once I got out there and started working with other collectors to help put this together, I just, I was blown away by how huge (laughs) the variant scene is and the international scene is and it was amazing and i learned so much so uh the short answer is yes i would love to do something like that one day uh i can't imagine how complicated that would be trying to track all of that information down and piece it together and make sure i didn't miss anything you know that would that would be a challenge but it could be a fun challenge so uh, the book is just figures. Is that correct? No play sets or. Oh no. Play sets and vehicles are in there. Okay, it's, cool. It's so, all the figures, all the play sets, all the vehicles. So did you consider doing things like the other merchandise of He-Man that, that was out when you were, and if, if, since it didn't make it into the book, 
Is that another book you would want to do? <laughs> no, that's a great question. And it's another discussion that we had. There's so much other merchandise out there for, for Masters of the Universe that was produced by other companies. Right. And it was another one of those things where, especially if you go back and look at the vintage line, there's so much of it out there that I swear we're still stumbling upon new random things all the time to this day that we had no idea were made. You know, you got weird things like the soap dishes and <laughs> the toothbrush holders and the bags and the pencil sharpeners and all kinds of crazy stuff right. um what we ended up deciding on for this book was that we were going to do all of the official mattel produced items for the book okay. um so there are some instances where mattel made for example role play weapons like in the okay. 2002 toy line they made a power sword so that's in the book okay. um so anything that was like officially produced by mattel or their partners like super seven was officially was the official license holder for the, the toy lines. So it's basically just the Mattel and the Super 7 stuff within this okay. book. Um, the one exception is we did include the NECA Staction figures at the end of the 2000X section oh, nice. because NECA produced that line of statues that were in scale with the figures as a means to complete the 2000X toy line. So we have a section in there that lays out all of the NECA release stations as well. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So where'd you grow up, Dan? Uh, Springfield, Illinois, where I'm Very still nice. hanging around today. <laughs> Very, nice. Very nice. Yeah. Obviously, you had toys as a child. What was your favorite first action figure? I would I would probably accredit that to He-Man. Um, <laughs> He-Man and Skeletor were definitely my earliest action figures. And I'm, I'm on the young side of Masters of the Universe fans. I was born in 82, which is the same year that the, the line launched in the US. So I, I literally, like, we basically have the same birthday. <laughs> and, and I just grew up with He-Man in my life because when I was around, you know, three and four years old, well, that's when that line was at its prime. And, and right. you know, the filmation cartoon was on TV. So it was the my favorite cartoon to watch. My mom was constantly bringing the action figures home to me. So all of my earliest toy memories are with He-Man. That's awesome. Yeah. All my Christmases have always had something to do with He-Man as well. And it's funny you mentioned your mom because one of my favorite videos of yours is when you interviewed her about the Cabbage Patch Rage. Yeah, I, I, that is one of my personal favorite videos that I've ever done too. And I actually just followed that up recently where I interviewed her about uh, the day she gave me stink or as a kid, because it's always, it's such a funny story that always stood out in my mind. And I wanted to get her perspective on the whole thing. And I, I've had a really great response to both of those videos and that makes me really happy. But part of doing those videos was a little selfish too, for me, because I now have these amazing stories from my mom that I get to keep, right? I got, exactly. I filmed them and I've got these amazing stories that, you know, I, I'll always even be able to look back on it and see my mom telling these stories of, of things from when I was a kid. And it, I loved it. I love doing that. And I'm really happy that so many people enjoyed watching those. Let's get into video. So you're growing up one day, you just, you know, the internet's big, YouTube started, you just happen to just get a video camera and was like, Hey, plastics to pixels or. <laughs> uh, it was a little bit more to it than that. Okay. So um, yeah, I don't know. I did kind of stumble on it. It's not like a goal that I had, you know, it's not one of those things where I grew up thinking I was going to be a filmmaker or, or anything like that. Now, 
when I was a kid, I did used to love grabbing my mom's 35 millimeter camera and posing my action figures and different things and then snapping photos off with her camera. And then, of course, you'd have to get them developed. So they come back and they're like these blurry photos of my (laughs) toys and everything. But I used to love doing that as a kid. So I always had like that part of it, I think. And what ended up kind of motivating me to to try the YouTube thing was probably around 2006 or so. I had really gotten into watching a lot of um, the retro video game content that was starting to boom on the internet, on YouTube and stuff. I was a big fan of ScrewAttack.com back then, which is where I discovered the Angry Video Game Nerd. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of. Um, And I was really watching a lot of the content that was being produced centered around retro video games. And this was a very new thing at the time. YouTube was still very young. You know, most people weren't actually going to YouTube to watch videos yet. Like the videos had to be embedded on a popular website in order for people to see them back then. So that's how I kind of, you know, I I found screwattack.com and they were putting up all this cool retro video game content and So I was really getting into that and I was enjoying it. And I kind of started just, you know, messing around myself with trying to make my own content. I got on and I taught myself how to edit videos with like windows movie maker at first. Oh, wow. Yeah. And just started doing stuff like that. And and they used to do things on that website where they would ask for viewer submissions, like showing off their game rooms and stuff. So I, I did some things like that and got featured on the front page of their website. And that was like this huge rush. You know, it was like, oh, sure. oh my gosh, like people are watching this thing that I made. This is amazing. So I think the more I started kind of, you know, watching this and getting inspired by what other people were doing, and then I kind of had that experience. It was one of those things where I was like, you know, I feel like I could do this, but if I'm going to do this, I feel like, you know, I love video games, but like, also I'm a big toy fan and I love all this stuff. I feel like if I'm going to do this, I need to do it about something that I'm passionate about. So what I ended up doing was I found a way to appeal to the video game market while talking about toys. And that's where I came up with the concept from pixels to plastic, where I would talk about toys and action figures based on retro video games that I loved. So that was a really cool experience because I started kind of, I basically built this show. I created a series and just in every episode I would talk about, like I started with talking about like legend of Zelda action figures and mega man action figures. Well, I was getting front paged on screw attack and stuff with those videos. And so I was starting to build a little bit of a following and that was really fun. That was just a really cool experience. So that was sort of my, the birth of the pixel Dan uh, platform. Like my platform is pixel Dan, because that's how the name came about too. I was doing from pixels to plastic. And the first couple episodes, I was just using like my online screen handle, which was Mandalorian 30. Okay. I I was way ahead of the whole Mandalorian love. back then. (laughs) (laughs) um so so i would like the first couple episodes i was even like introducing myself as mandalorian 30 and i think it was uh you know a couple people kind of mentioned that that i needed something a little catchier or a little more i don't know just easy to remember or easy to say and then my friend lance actually started just referring to me as pixel dan because of my series from pixels to plastic and I liked that. And I was like, I think I'm going to use that if you're okay with that, because I think that that fits really well. And it it feels like 
it feels like a brand name, right? It feels a little marketable. Yeah. It feels like something people will remember. And I think I'm going to run with that. And from that moment on, I just started introducing myself as Pixel Dan, the host of From Pixels to Plastic. This kind of went from there. Yeah. Do, do relatives or friends like to call you that? Or are they just regular? <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, it usually is a joke kind of a thing. Or like if they, if they want to ask me a question about something toy related, they'll go, hey, Pixel Dan, what can you tell me about this? You know? <laughs> Oh yeah, you're on the spotlight now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Along with your love of toys, I'm going to bring this up. Could you please explain this? Now, was this Spencer Powers at work here, or? <laughs> well, um, all right. So let me start by saying that um, yes, I I actually have been an independent pro wrestler since 2000. So right out of high school. I went and started getting trained to be a wrestler because That's I awesome. wanted to, I wanted to be a wrestler. I wanted to do wrestling on the independent scene and long before I was doing the video stuff online. Like that's basically what I was doing with my weekends. And oh, cool. so, you know, I got trained and I worked locally around here in the central Illinois area. And then I got to a point where basically every weekend I was traveling to different cities to work for different shows. Um, you know, Indiana, I would travel down towards the St. Louis area. I would travel up into Chicago and Indiana and just kind of all the little towns in between. I was working a lot of shows. So wow. uh, it's a big part of my life. You know, I love I love pro wrestling and I love the experience of, of being uh, on the independence. I d I'm not as active these days. It was one of those things where when I originally got into it, it was something that I had considered trying to do uh, full time. You know, I really liked it. And I kind of had those moments where like I, I started really getting serious about it and really working hard. And my, my goal was kind of going to be to, to go somewhere where I could get further training and get picked up, you know, or get seen or something like that. But, um, you know, it was one of those things where like the things happen in life, you know, I ended up, obviously I, I met the, the girl that would become my wife. And then it became more about like, well, I think I want to stay around here and I want to settle down. And I'm gonna do the family thing. So, uh, but I always still loved wrestling and I still worked independently around here. So, uh, what you just showed that was two years ago, I got to be an extra on WWE TV and that's a very common thing for um, when the WWE is coming to town for Raw or SmackDown or their pay-per-views. They hire a bunch of local independent workers to come in and be extras on the show for whatever they might need. Security spot or something. You know, they, 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 they always use local wrestlers for those spots. So um, that's awesome. Yeah, so it was it was just one of those cool opportunities where uh, I got a call because they were in the Chicago area and I got the opportunity to go work Raw and SmackDown. And I think for Raw, I did the uh, I was just like a, a background character for uh, the No Way Jose Conga line entrance. <laughs> and then uh, on SmackDown, I got to do the security role where Becky Lynch beat me up. And that was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it was an amazing experience. So, yeah, it was awesome. Now, I just want to lift the veil real quick off that that scene. Did you know she was going to do that to you, or was it ad-libbed? I, I did know that she was going to do that to me. Wow. She she oh. actually asked me backstage if I was willing to take it, and I was like, I'll be, I'll be here for whatever you need, Becky Lynch, <laughs> whatever <laughs> you need. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is kind of funny. I just got some email and feedback about our shows. Everybody has been loving the show so far, so – Thank you all. 
but apparently I don't talk enough about He-Man on a He-Man podcast. So let's jump into <laughs> that real quick. Sure. So this was just released recently. The Massiverse mm-hmm. figures. Apparently they're based on the Kevin Smith Revelations TV show on Netflix. So what was your first impression? I know you made a video about it, but you know, if you can just share with us. Sure, sure. No, I'm I'm very much kind of sitting in the middle on these still right now. Um, so the, the I guess it's important to note that this image kind of came from like a, an investor call that Mattel just had, right? So there was no like big announcement or big like reveal like that slide was dropped an investor call and that was our first impression of what these toys were going to look like so those aren't necessarily the best photos it's low res it's hard to see a lot of details on it so uh, i'm kind of doing that thing where i i want i hope that mattel follows this up now especially with um all the the comments and the criticisms that are coming out there based off this picture i hope mattel now comes out with an actual press release with a bunch of really nice photos and gives us some more information about what we're looking at here, because I think they need to do that. I think that's important to kind of now, you know, calm things down a little bit, maybe, I don't know. Um, So, you know, it's one of those things where I I try not to make snap judgments on this stuff, but as I always say, first impressions do matter sometimes. Mm -hmm. And those, I don't know, like, they look fine. I'm totally cool with them being based on the animation. That's exactly what I expected, you know? Um, but it's, it's hard to see a lot of what's going on. Um, I, I'm not completely in love with like He-Man's face in these low res images. He looks very yeah. sad or something. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. Um, Evil Lynn's look is completely new and that's fine, but it might be one of those things where we need to see it in action in the cartoon series to get an you like to get an appreciation for it before we want the action figure. You know what I mean? Right, at this right. point you look at it and you're just like, why does that look so different from what I'm used to? Ah, you know what I mean? It's one yeah, of definitely. Things. But it's so, funny you um, mention her. Cause I think she's the best looking one out of all three. Yeah. I do. I, I really like the unique like cloak that she has going on. And then her hair's longer, which is something we haven't seen before. Right. We've never seen her with the long hair. And, you know, yeah. I, I will say this, like, she still looks like Evil Lynn, right? That's important right. when you do redesigns like this. Like, like her color palette is still appropriate. <laughs> she still has the swappable head with the signature uh, helmet that she wears. Like, so she still looks like the character. It's just a bit of a, a departure from her her typical attire, essentially. Exactly. Um, but one of the things I will say is I was impressed that He-Man and Skeletor just look super normal like their costumes haven't been redesigned at all they're wearing the classic he-man and skeletor costumes you know they didn't try to put pants on he-man again like like they always try to do so (laughs) yeah (laughs) i like that that yeah Yeah, i'm finally got a skeletor figure that hasn't been customized where he comes with a cloak or a cape yeah 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 yeah, i'm really excited about that and now let's look at something for the kids now uh huh. How I mean, I, in your video you mentioned something about you're not a big fan of the sword. I totally agree. The, the swords where they always kind of get me, and it's yeah, I, I, I I totally it's one of those things where like I can fully admit that like 
there's a nostalgia thing with that sword and just don't change it. Like it's so iconic to the character. Exactly. I don't feel like there's a reason to constantly redesign the sword. Cause I felt the same way in 2002. So and while, I. while at the end of the day, I grew in a, appreciation for what they now call like the mechanical power sword like at first that was my least favorite thing about the 2002 series i was like why do we have this big ugly metal like mechanical sword now i don't get it so um when they switched back to the original style power sword for like classics and all that stuff that was like a thing that we were all so excited about like fans were just like Oh, thank goodness the real power sword's back. <laughs> exactly. So so we're doing it again, and it's one of those things where, like, I guess I get it, because uh, the other thing I always say is we, we do need new blood. We need new fans. This needs to attract a new audience, and if we have to do something that is going to capture the attention of what the current generation of kids is into that makes perfect sense to me and i'm fine with that especially when we're living in a current situation where there are so many other variations of he-man out there Mm. um you know there's the there's the the kevin smith series is supposed to be more for the old fans but then we've also got the origins line out there which is like straight up a recreation of the vintage toy line so there's all these other options out there if i don't like this new one that's made for new fans and new kids it's not the end of the world to me i'm totally fine with that um like so like i looked at battle cat specifically in that and like to me he looks like a zoid or something you know like he he's i don't know the armor doesn't really do it for me it looks really busy but i showed that to my seven-year-old son and that's the thing he liked the most he was like battle cat looks really cool i like his armor and i was like well okay so you're come you're totally opposite from me but maybe they're on to something here yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean his tail yeah, is yeah. a little weird yeah. Yeah, oh yeah the, yeah he's got like a spike or something on his tail yeah it's a little it looks very thin it's just well hit him he, as, kind of, he looks sorry. thin sorry yeah no no i mean you're, yeah, I just say the cat, the cat himself looks thin. Yeah, if you look at that, like top, yeah, exactly, yeah. He kind of reminds me of 2000 X Battle Cat, like with the claws mm-hmm. and paws and stuff. But, I, um, yeah, this I will one, say this: this whole image has a bit of a 2000 X vibe to me. To be perfectly honest, yeah. Even even He Man kind of gives me that vibe. He's so. giant, like his upper <laughs> from his like neck to his waist is just gigantic. I know and everything tiny, else is tight. Yeah. Tiny little legs and tiny little head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm dubbing him Fortnite. He man. That's what I keep seeing. A lot of people say he looks yeah. like a Fortnite skin, but we also have this, which was an international picture. Apparently oh. from, a, from a retailer. I haven't even seen this yet. Really? So that, that's awesome. This, I've been. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> well, so I think, when when they first announced the Masterverse line at PowerCon, they sort of made it sound like it was going to be an all-inclusive line. Like, it's not just limited to being from the Kevin Smith cartoon series. Right. So to me, it sounded like the first wave was probably going to be all based on the new animated series. But from after that, it could they could be pulling from different inspiration points. Because I know there's been there's been some hope that they'll use that line to, like, complete some of the characters for classics that we didn't get and stuff right. like that. So I think that's, that's always a possibility. True. Yeah. Can so this, this is obviously based on based on uh, the comic books, right? Eternity. Of War, yes. Eternity of War? Yeah. Yeah. By he, Rob David. He looks like um, Tim Curry from legend to me. Oh, he totally does. He <laughs> right? Totally does. Just pink uh, and red. So I'll be perfectly honest. I did not read 
that <laughs> and I need to. <laughs> so I'm not completely familiar with what's going on there, but that's a weird looking. I assume that's Skeletor. That is yes. It's well, wild. it's basically Game of Thrones, just with He-Man. Right. Oh, okay. And, okay. and less nudity. Uh, no nudity. <laughs> okay, good. Sorry. Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although they did do something in that book that I wasn't 100% on board with was, uh, I don't mean to spoil anything for you, but. Oh, no, that's fine. Go ahead. Tila becomes the green goddess. Okay. So it's like they kind of mix together some different aspects, right? Because. Yes. Because uh, there is some cool was, stuff in it, but yeah. that was the only thing I wasn't really on board with. Oh, you okay? You weren't on board with that? No, because I mean, I love the classics version. I think King He Man should marry Tila, you know, and and the Tila just becomes like the sorceress or whatever. Because exactly. she's destined, yeah, she's destined to be the sorceress. Right. I would imagine. My guess is that's what the Revelation series is going to be all about. That's what I was thinking too. I would imagine that's the revelation, right? That Tila's destined to be the sorceress and that's what it's all going to be about right because if this continues from filmation and they set all that up in the original series so i don't know i'm just jumping all around now sorry guys <laughs> yeah. no no you're good please <laughs> but uh one of the things i also wanted to bring up they kind of hinted that and even you brought this up that these masterverse figures were gonna be part of the classics collection so i was a little bit let down Again, like you said, this is a poor picture and stuff. I mean, who knows? Hopefully we'll get maybe a variant somewhere down the line. Mm -hmm. But I was yeah, really so hoping they would be more classics. More more in the style of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see the actual scale because I think they say it is seven inches, right? It's a seven inch scale line. Yes. I'm interested to see if they're still like the same size because classics is seven inch, but they're on the big side of seven inches. You know, they're, yeah. they're very big and bulky and everything as a He-Man toy should be. So right. sometimes when they stand next to other seven inch figures, like NECA figures, the NECA figures look tiny next to them. Oh yeah, definitely. So I'll be curious to see what these look like next to classics. If they're like truly in the same scale mm. or if they're a little smaller. Gotcha. So here's a question I'm sure you get all the time. So Mattel comes to you and says, Dan, we don't know what to do anymore. We're giving you He-Man. Run with it. Well, what would be your definitive pixel Dan? Oh, boy, that is not an easy question to answer. <laughs> <laughs> also, you can't please everybody, right? So there's yeah. <laughs> um, this is tough because... So right now, it really seems like they are going all in on He-Man in a way we haven't seen them do in a very long time because right. they've got, it looks like we're going to ultimately have three very different types of toy lines on retail shelves at the same time. We have two very different types of animated series that are aimed at different audiences at the same time. So it really feels like they're putting more behind the brand now than they have in a very, very long time. My worry with that is that they're either they're doing too much all at once or, you know, like we're spreading the brand a little too thin into different directions. And can all these different like in all these different markets that each of the different series are aimed for? Can they all with, you know, sustain that yeah. one thing? Yeah, exactly. So my fear, I'll tell you my biggest fear right now is that if all of this isn't successful by Mattel standards. Yeah. that they throw in the towel 
they're like, well, clearly people don't care about He-Man. And then they just, that's it. It's just over. You know what I mean? That's what I'm a little, that's, that's the fear that's in the back of my mind. Sure. Um, I think it's important to build a new audience. Like they, it looks like they're trying to do with the new cartoon series. But at the same time, I think it's very important to remember the people who have kept this brand alive for all these years. Exactly. And that is a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard balance, but I like to reference one of my favorite reboots in recent years, which is the 2012 TMNT reboot, the Ninja Turtles oh. reboot. I feel like personally, I feel like the 2012 series for Ninja Turtles is one of the all time best renditions of those characters. And I think it did an amazing job balancing both the concept of respecting everything that came before it, while at the same time doing its own thing and finding a new audience because that show was massively successful with kids. Oh yeah. It was and a great at the show. Same time, it, a great show. And the toy line was like the top boys toy line for several years mm -hmm. in a row. I mean, like it was the straight up second coming of Ninja Turtles. Like they hadn't had yeah. success like that since the original release. So like it was, it was great because they just found the right person to helm the series and did, you know, they, they did the right thing with it for that. And that's the kind of thing I would love to see them be able to recreate with masters of the universe. Like if we can get a new series that somehow is able to respect all that great stuff, all the history that came before it while still appealing to a new market and making just like a really fun toy line and all that stuff to, to really keep it going. That would be my ultimate goal. That would be the priority. I think now at the same time, like once you've got something that's that successful, like with the Ninja Turtles series, um, another good example, regardless of how you feel about it, the transformers movies, you know, like they brought mm. in, they brought in a new generation and they made sure. a bunch of money, whatever. We don't have to like it, but you know, the, the ultimate positive that comes out of something that's that successful with the current audience is that they get more money to spend on making more collector based stuff. And right. they can start doing some of that extra stuff for us, the old fans, and we can start getting some of those kind of things. So I almost feel like, it's, it's important to find a way to, you know, launch a new series, a new whole brand of Masters of the Universe that can somehow have that perfect balance with the priority being getting new fans on, get, making sure that this is successful, and then there's lots of love to go around for everybody definitely it's hard yeah. to do though i understand that like i don't have, have the answers for doing that i know that that's a challenge but that's what i would love to see happen let me let me throw this out at you too so sure. um let's just imagine would you and obviously there's no news of this whatsoever would you be cool with like he-man in a theme park so universal oh, studios like like a he-man island or something like that of course oh my god that would be amazing are you kidding me <laughs> So you get some, like uh, like Marvel Island, if they created a ride for him, that yeah. would be amazing. Yeah. Um. Well, my wife and I are big Disney parks fans too. So, nice. um. I yeah, I couldn't imagine like walking into a theme park and having like a section or even just a ride, like just a, surrounding my favorite thing ever. That'd be amazing. You know what I mean? What do you so, yeah. think actually I, would would be better, like Disney or Universal? Like let's say so, somebody actually bought the license. 
All right. So, well, if we're if we're speaking on current terms, it would have to be Universal because Universal actually owns stake right. in Masters of the Universe. So, okay. um, it would definitely be at Universal Studios if they had it. That they had a a walk around character for Shira at Universal Studios. Yes, when her Netflix series was on. Uh -oh. So okay. maybe with these new series for He Man being on Netflix, we will get some integration into the mm -hmm. parks. That could be really cool. And they used to have it in um and in California back in the eighties um, in uh -huh. universal. They had uh, no, I never saw it myself. I saw pictures on the internet of like people who met He-Man and I think they gave them toys or something like that. Yeah. They're, I've seen those too. I've seen those. Yeah, too. That uh, would that's be pretty amazing. cool. Oh my God. Yeah. That would be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so Dan, so we have two shows coming out. The live action movie still up in the air. How do you feel about that? Like, do you have a certain, do you have a I'm certain ter terrified, <laughs> Yeah, I don't blame you. Terrifying. Um, you know what, though? Man. I'll be honest. If I can just interject real quick, I don't really need a live action show. If we have like a two hour animated movie, you know, from anybody, I'd be fine with that. I, I you know, keep that coming instead of, you know, I've live always action. kind of been on the, I've always been kind of of the same mind. I feel like this world lends itself better to animation. And I think, I think a really well done animated movie could be amazing for him. Oh, sure. I think that'd be, what awesome. if it was like, um, uh, instead of a movie, uh, a series like you no know, stranger things or like a nine episode, you know, binge, oh, yeah. binge kind of thing. That, that way you don't have to, like cram everything in two hours, but you can still tell a longer story. And, and and kind of spread it out and, and build up to your, to your that would be thing. awesome especially if we can get some really good storytelling you know and yeah. I know that storytelling's gotten really good in in series especially a lot of these streaming series I mean yeah uh, WandaVision right now is unbelievably exactly, yeah. good and if we could get something that that got that much love in it for masters and the lore behind masters of the universe the way that Marvel treats their properties oh, oh, that would be amazing <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> So you bring up WandaVision. Where is Marvel Goodyear's review of it? I'm missing uh, it. I know. We haven't gotten together to talk about it. You know, it might be one of those things where we'll do a, a recap of the whole thing when it's over, I think. We oh. definitely talk to each other every week about what's going on. So I think I think that's something that we'll definitely be sitting down and recording. It's been hard to uh, get together to record our podcast recently, oh, sure. obviously, with things going on in the world and uh um, we always like to do it in person cause we're all, we're all local here. And, um, but life is so busy. I mean, gosh, we're all, you know, me and Jonathan both are raising a gaggle of kids and yeah. <laughs> you know, it gets complicated. I'm sure you guys understand. Yeah. Oh yeah. totally. <laughs> so how do you feel about this monstrosity right now? <laughs> now I, know I think that's awesome. You think it's a monstrosity? <laughs> well, you know what I bought? My wife got me the big head He-Man and I built it and I'm just staring at him like, why? That was, and those it, were weird. Those yeah. were weird. The He-Man and the Skeletor. Yeah. Yeah. Those were kind of strange. That seemed like that. Cause that was like uh mega trying to do like a, a pop type thing. Exactly. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And those, I don't know. I just don't think those worked out too well. Yeah. I, yeah. I think this battle cat looks fun though. Yeah. it's a, I'll give it a shot. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's my cup of tea. Now this, this they just announced. I'm really excited for. I am so excited for that. You have no idea. <laughs> oh, I bet. Now, yeah, so I, this is right up your alley. You do that uh, advent calendar with your wife. 
Yeah, me and Christina have been doing an advent calendar series every year for, gosh, almost a decade now, which is crazy. Wow. But it's just one of those things that's become such a fun tradition every year um, where we, we just do this daily advent calendar show. And we have, you know, a good, good little audience that joins us every year. And it just it's become such a part of our Christmas tradition. We really look forward to it every year. So when they <laughs> announced that I'm going to get to do a he-man advent calendar i mean come on that's like so perfect <laughs> did you do the gremlins one the gremlins uh, i did calendar? do the gremlins one yeah cool. i did that one this year it was so good too it was so good yeah this looks so great i mean it comes with micro figures for your smaller figures i mean you oh my that. god that's amazing oh i look at that yeah <laughs> i had only seen the main picture i hadn't actually looked at all these little these other ones yet. oh so yeah this is actually kind of based off of the new show because of um, He-Man's armor. The, the, the a, it looks like an H instead of the cross. Yeah. Is that, is so, so Mattel's been trying to push that as He-Man's main logo for a long time, actually. Okay. And um, if you notice, that logo dates all the way back to the original Battle Armor He-Man. That's what's mm -hmm. on the Battle Armor He-Man's armor. Right. And it's kind of one of those things where I think that's more marketable. And they can yeah. also trademark that. You know, like that's the He-Man logo kind of a thing. It's, it's not so. a terrible logo. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. But here's the thing that, that I'm a little bit confused about, though. It's not the logo that's on Origins. On Origins, they went back to the Iron Cross. Yeah, that's interesting. That's so, a good yeah. point. It's a good point. I don't know. Um, I really don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe it's a direction they're doing now with the new, yeah. the new animated series and everything coming out. Maybe they decided to make the full shift. Yeah. Sure. So let's talk about some other different toys. Have you been reading Last Ronin? I haven't yet. I everybody keeps telling me about it, and it I am amazing. really bad. At, I'm bad about keeping up with comic books. I'll tell you that. Like okay. it's just like there's always comic books I want to read, and then I just don't, <laughs> and I don't have a good excuse for it. Like I really should. I really should be. So what other toy lines are you excited about right now? We have the Thunder Tank coming, which you did a whole Ooh, video about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I really, I'm a big Ninja Turtles fan too. That's my number two mm -hmm. franchise. So yes. a lot of my collecting has mostly just been focused on He-Man and Turtles lately because there's so much for both of them that it's mm -hmm. already hard to keep up with those two things. Because <laughs> um, between NECA and Super 7, we're getting like some of the best turtles figures we've ever had. It's amazing. Oh, and I love that they're doing different, they're doing different styles too, you know? So NECA has given mm -hmm. us like the ones based on the original cartoon and the original movie, which are phenomenal. And then super sevens just doing kind of the masters of the universe classics things with turtles where they're taking the old figures and just bringing them into modern times. And right. I love that because with turtles, like that original toy line, had its own distinct look, you know, it was mm -hmm. like very different from what we saw in the cartoon and stuff like that. So I, I think it's certain characters specifically, it makes total sense to go that route for some updated right. figures. And I really like both of them equally. I know a lot of people are always like, which do you prefer? But it's not like a versus thing to me. Like they're, they're like, right. they're doing their own things. And I totally love and appreciate both of them for what they're doing. So um, I've been having fun picking those up. Um, the NECA ones are not always the easiest to find as everybody knows, but um, when I can get them, <laughs> they are good. Uh, I actually really, I like that they did pre-orders for a lot of their stuff. 
last yeah. year. So I've those pre-orders have all been finally rolling in. So I've <laughs> been just now getting like I just got my token Razar. I just got my super oh, shredder. Okay. Um, the Casey Jones and foot soldier I just finally got. So there's a lot of that stuff I'm just now getting because I took it. I just decided to do the pre-orders rather than trying to hunt them down. Right, right. But uh, yeah, I think I think that stuff's a lot of fun. Um, but what Super Seven's doing in general with like their Ultimates mm-hmm. line, I think is really cool. Um, obviously, that that scale and everything totally appeals to me. You know, I love mm-hmm. the seven inch size, and I kind of like that they're all basically built on the framework that Masters of the Universe Classics set up. Right. So now we're getting like all these other cool franchises like on that framework, like Turtles and. Voltron and like they just announced that they've got Power Rangers and mm-hmm. and Thundercats, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, that stuff is it's it's expensive, but I honestly think that that's kind of like my favorite my favorite lines right now to collect. My favorite style of nice. modern toys. I like those. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to um, uh, Defenders of the Earth. Oh yeah, that, yeah. That got, those, those stuff really goes back, and it, they look amazing. But they uh, look I'm so re- good. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, Super Seven Silver. That was Hawks. such a surprise last year at Toy Fair when they revealed those. <laughs> oh Silver yeah, Hawks. they definitely. Yes. I am so excited. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we got a little bit of a lag. So, I think. Um, yeah, the oh, Silverhawks. Right. I'm very excited. Silverhawks. I'm very excited for from Super Seven. Yeah, definitely. So, here's some goofy questions I got for you. Okay. Mint on card collector, or do you open everything? I open everything. Wow. Um, okay. the, the only exception to that is um, like with vintage items. Because uh, I, I still heavily collect vintage masters and turtles. So sometimes if I get like something that's nice and minty and in the box, that that'll stay in the box. <laughs> but everything modern, I open everything modern. I don't leave anything, any modern toys in the package. Gotcha. Tell me about Toy Explosion. That's your history <laughs> on toys. Sure. Yeah. No. So Toy Explosion is uh, my video series where I wanted to. So I I, I do a lot of re- videos that are just like a, a review of a standalone figure or a look at a standalone figure. Um, but, you know, in my early days on YouTube videos, like with From Pixels to Plastic, it was more of like an episodic series that like talked about a toy line or whatever. And I just kind of wanted to get back to doing something like that. Um, you know, I, I also did a show early on with some friends called That New Toy Smell that a lot of people remember. That's right. And it was it was more like that. We we did like a, like every episode was about like a toy line and we would talk about the toy line itself. And, you know, I've uh, that was kind of one of my early visions for my channel was doing that sort of stuff like right after from pixels to plastic i i created that new toy smell as sort of the version of from pixels to plastic that could be on other types of toys outside of video games and um so we i did that for several years with some friends so toy explosion was kind of my way of getting back to something like that i really felt like i wanted to challenge myself a little bit more um, where I wanted to do a bunch of research and put together like a proper like history piece about a specific toy line or if I wanted to tell a certain story or something like that. And that way I could present it as like more of an episodic video series where every episode tells a story about a toy line or about a specific toy or or a fun piece of toy history. So uh, I wanted to do that just to kind of give myself a little something new and different to do. And like I said, challenge myself outside of just reviewing 
an action figure here and there. So that's, that's how that came about. Um, it's, it takes a lot more work, <laughs> obviously. <Yeah, definitely. laughs> um, especially when I, sometimes I'll spend a couple months researching a project because I'll even try to reach out and get quotes from people involved and stuff like that. So they don't always come together as fast as I'd like. And mm. then when other things come about or like, I really get caught up in like, Oh, like two whole waves of origins figures just dropped. Now I need to focus on talking about all these new origins figures. So I don't produce them episodes of toy explosion as often as I would like to, but I have a lot of fun doing it. You mentioned, you know, like a whole new case of origins would drop on your lap. Do you ever get burned out or does it seem like certain days you're just like, Oh, okay. Let's, let's go back to the grind. Yes, absolutely. Um, the whole YouTube thing, it's so easy to get burned out. It is so easy to get burned out. And, um, I think one of the things that makes it easy to get burned out is like that feeling of needing to be first, needing to be fast, get it out there because you worry about everybody's short attention spans and they're going to go to the first person that posts the review and then you're going to miss out on a bunch of views. You know what I mean? And I hate that. I hate that. I hate like feeling like I need to be rushed or that I'm in competition with anybody. And Mm -hmm. so I try so hard to like not have that mindset. Like it's, I'm not trying to compete. I don't want to be in competition. I don't want to be rushed. Like I want to, I want to enjoy what I'm doing because I feel like that shows in my videos. And if I am not into it or I'm rushing myself or, you know, just trying to get it done to get it done, I think that shows in the end result of the video. And I think people Mm -hmm. can tell that I'm like, um, I'm kind of just phoning it in, you know, I think, I think you can, I think people can tell when you're phoning it in. Mm -hmm. So it's a mental thing because, Mm -hmm. I have these weird mental battles with myself all the time where like, I have to tell myself, like, don't worry about that. Don't feel bad that somebody else made an amazing video about the same thing you want to talk about. Just do your own thing, focus on you and and people. I, I really do truly believe that like, you know, if, if you are passionate about the thing you're talking about, that shows through in the video and people will catch on to that. And they will get enjoyment from your video because they can feel your passion bleeding through. I think that is very important um, in the whole YouTube space. And that's why when people are always like, that's a common question I get all the time. Like, how do you get noticed on YouTube? And it is very hard these days. I will say that like, there are so many people out there now making YouTube videos. Like when I first started, I was like the only guy on YouTube talking about toys back in 07, you know, and, but Mm -hmm. it's gradually turned into this thing where it's, you know, everybody's at least got a cell phone that they could shoot something and immediately put it on YouTube. So it's a challenge. So the best advice I can always give people is like, just enjoy what you're doing, put real passion into your projects, because if you are, really excited and really love the thing that you're talking about. That's, what's going to hook people. People are going to notice that and people will come. They will come. So, so when you're doing a video or a podcast and you know, you're basically talking to either like a microphone or into the camera, Uh how do you, how do you bring it out? So that it doesn't just sound like you're kind of talking to yourself. 
Because that's the one thing I find is like, it's yeah, no, that's tricky. And I'll tell you what, that's another one. um, That's another one of those mental hurdles you have to get over. I think Um, because I'm I'm the same way, and I totally understand that. You know, I, I still have issues when I'm out at conventions and I'm trying to do like the. (laughs) <laughs> like the vlog type thing at a convention. I'll be holding a camera and I'll be talking to the camera, but I'll be so self-conscious about everybody around me. Like what's this idiot doing talking into a camera, <laughs> even though everybody does it now. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. But, but I still have that weird self-conscious thing that I have to ignore because I know that I'm like, I'm talking to an audience that's going to see this. So right. who cares what the five people around me think of right. me at the, in the moment? Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a hurdle that I think you have to get over. It's like a mental thing. Like you have to you have to realize that the camera that we're talking to or the microphone is an extension to a whole world out there of viewers that are going to be taking in everything that you're saying. Right. So I try to always present my content like I'm uh, having a conversation with somebody. Right. Like I okay. almost do the friend thing. You know what I mean? And and honestly, I think that's another yeah. reason why. I think that's one of the things that people like about my content is that it feels like they're hanging out to with them. Yeah, I'm, yeah. They're hanging out with somebody who, who likes the same stuff as them. And they're having, right. you know, like a, and that's kind of what I aim for. Um, I will script out some of my stuff for like toy explosion, but even sometimes when I'm like reading those scripts and using a teleprompter, I feel like it's a little too robotic. So sometimes sure. I even find it's better to give myself notes of specific things. I want to make sure that I, talk about and then i just kind of talk you know what i mean i'll just get in front of the camera and i'll talk and i'll try to make sure i'm hitting those points and it might take me a few takes to get through it but i always i always like the ones better where it feels more like i'm just chatting like we're chatting right now rather than me robotically regurgitating what's on a piece of paper (laughs) (laughs) all right dan we've kept you long enough just one real quick question so i've had I have heard that you are thinking of writing another book. Hmm. Do you have any type of hint, anything? Have you started it? I have started the preliminary portion of it, as in I'm piecing together a roadmap. Um, It's for my second favorite toy line, which I talked about on the podcast. So if you were paying attention, (laughs) you know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Pixel Dan, thank you so much. Hey, no problem. And if I may, uh, just real quick, I do want to make sure I like give a proper shout out because so many people helped me with this book. Uh, this was not a solo effort by any means. So, so many fans within the community came together. This is very much a community made project. Um, you know, I visited so many people to photograph things for this book. Uh, I had some folks come in and help me with some of the writing where I felt like writing could be stronger if done by other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a massive thing where we came together as a community to make this book happen. So ev- like lots of people out there, there's a big credit section in the book so that everybody gets their due. But this is, I could not have done this alone. And I just want to make sure that that's, that's well known. <laughs> I, I very much appreciate all the help of the fan community. Special thanks again to Pixel Dan for being on the show. The book is The Toys of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which you can pre-order now at Amazon.com or ThePower-Con.com. You can always find Pixel Dan on his YouTube channel for all the latest toy reviews and follow him on social media at Pixel Dan. Thank you again to Ian Westhoff, 
the hosts of Toy Lines and Rocketeer Radio for joining us on this episode. And if you're interested in this week's toy news, head on over to the Toy Lines podcast where Ian and I discuss everything that happened this week in toys. I'm Tom Romero, and remember, you have the power. We'll be right back. 